my name is Jilly. Uh, if <laughs> oh, it's my birthday, okay. <laughs> um, if we haven't met yet, my name is Jilly. I'm the college intern here at Evergreen, and Taylor and Matt asked me to teach tonight, so bear with me. <laughs> um, okay, so I know I just got married. This is not a dating sermon, okay, I promise. Um, but just in the season of unity, which is where we've been in reach for this whole year so far, uh, something that was recommended to me is looking for one another verses. And so I uh, ooh, got louder. I spent a lot of time looking for where to do this sermon out of because I was like, I know there's a lot of places, but I don't want to like do the wrong one. And um, it's kind of crazy because I was just doing my quiet time one day and uh, happened upon First John. And I read it, and I was like, oh, wow, hold on for a minute. There's a lot of, like, love one another, serve one another. There's a lot of one another's in this passage right now. And then I was like, okay, I need two different passages, though. And so I was like, probably not First John. Well, then the next day, I read First John 4, and look, there it is, another one another passage. And I was like, well, okay. So we are in First John chapter 3 tonight. Uh, just 11 through 24, and we're talking about love. And like I said, before you attack me, it is not a dating sermon, okay? Um, I will say, though, I got married roughly a week or two ago-ish, and marriage has taught me very bluntly that I am one of the most selfish people that I know, like straight up. <laughs> Um, I learned that I get annoyed at, like, the littlest things. And I just wanted to share a story with you because, you know, just being vulnerable up here right now. I already got his permission on this. Um, I was having kind of a bad day the other day. I was a little overwhelmed with some stuff. Like, when we got back from the honeymoon, the world just, like, caved in a little bit. So I was a little stressed. And I came uh, into the living room, and, like, we were still building a nightstand, and the nightstand pieces were everywhere. The kitchen was a mess. Like, everything felt like it was a mess. And I was like, I'm going to break, like, right now. <laughs> and so he's like, let me make you waffles. My sweet husband offered to make me waffles. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and so I'm watching him make waffles, and we're talking, and I'm trying to, like, get out of my weird funk. And he goes to stir the waffles, and just, like, the tiniest bit of waffle powder falls out of the bowl onto the floor. And when I tell you, I almost lost my mind. <laughs> like, that was the last straw for me. And as I was about to verbalize that and tell him, like, did you really have to drop the waffle powder? I felt the Holy Spirit in the back of my mind say, stop. And he stopped me. And in the, like, in the middle of the chaos of what I was feeling, how overwhelmed I was, God stopped me where I was at. And he said, chill. <laughs> and he calmed me down because did that little bit of waffle powder really matter? No, not at all. And I realized in that moment, okay, <laughs> I'm pretty selfish right now. The man's making me waffles. <laughs> like, um, and it occurred to me that moment, but also just as I was working on this, that like, our natural reaction, our natural way of life is sin. Like, when we're born, we're not taught how to lie. We're not taught how to hit our brother, you know? 
We're not taught how to get mad when things don't go our way. Sin nature is what we were born into, and we are naturally that way. And so, if you look at verse 11 with me, we are going to see what the world calls love. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was, the, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So what's happening in First John right now? I did a little bit of digging, and basically, uh, the speculated author is John. I'm pretty confident, but it's not like in stone. But he's writing to this church that's going through it with false prophets and false teaching. They're being faced with all of these lies being thrown at them about what it really looks like to walk with the Lord and all this stuff. And they're just going through it. And so John writes this letter to them, basically giving them a guide on how to know that you are walking with the Lord, but also how to like test the spirits, test the prophets that are in front of you. For, or chapter four is, starts off with testing the spirits. And so part of that <clears throat> testing of the spirits is understanding that God is love and the world is hate. And so John starts this off, the way that he decides to teach this is with a contrast, right? And so we immediately see that God is love over here, and then he compares and contrasts with Cain in Genesis. He goes all the way back to Genesis. It was the first murder recorded. I think it was the first murder, murder in general. But why did Cain do that? He did it because he was selfish, he was jealous, he was angry. His half-achieved sacrifice wasn't good enough, but his brother was good enough, and why wasn't he good enough? And he couldn't get over the fact that he had missed the point. All he could see was red, and all he could see was the fact that his brother got the blessing and he didn't. And so instead of unpacking that and trying to figure out, okay, like, maybe how did I mess up in this? He decided to act on that anger and envy and jealousy and all of that negativity, and he decided to kill his brother. And, like, that didn't only happen in Genesis. That happens all throughout the Bible. That happened all throughout human history. It happened yesterday. It happened 20 minutes ago. Because that is the difference between what the world says is what life is about and what God says life is about. And it's important to remember that we don't earn salvation by loving so like we know that we are called to love one another because the world shows us the worldly love is all about hate and envy and getting ahead. And so the Bible tells us like, okay, you need to love each other, but that's not how we earn salvation. You don't like get saved more by loving people. Instead, when we come to know who Jesus is, when we come to understand what he did for us, our natural instinct starts to shift, and it goes away from all of the anger 
and the sin and the hate. And it turns into a desire to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, a desire to love God. So we've seen what the world has. And now in verses 16 through 18, we get to see the example of God's love, godly love. Verse 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So I didn't recognize this right away, but if you look at John 3.16 and compare it to 1 John 3.16, there's a correlation there, which is so cool. Because we all know John 3.16, right? Like, let me hear it. Come on. That was so good, guys. <laughs> I heard a lot of like, da, 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 but I got it. We got it, right? So we know that God came down, saved us, and if we believe in him, we have eternal life, right? So 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So John 3.16 is, hey, you are loved. There is a God who sent down his only son and saw you in your darkness and sin and everything nasty about you, he sent his one and only son down to die for you and to take that on his own shoulders, go through the worst possible thing that could have happened to a human, and he covered it for you. He covered it. So that is the gospel. And we see in John 3.16, we were loved. We are loved. Now, 1 John 3.16 is our example of love. John is explicitly saying, like, guys, this is how you love your one another, how you love God. Because he doesn't just say, like, love others, bye, and, like, leave you to it and not give you any context. But he says, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us. So it clearly states, like, by God's sacrifice we know love. There's no other example to go off of. Jesus is literally the perfect and only example that you need. By this, we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So it's kind of a scary verse, I'm not going to lie, because, like, we're just supposed to lay down our lives for one another? Like, is that what he's saying? No. He's saying that we have an example to go off of, because not only did Jesus lay down his life for you, but did you see the way that he walked through his own life? Like he was literally a perfect man, God and man, and he walked on the same planet that you are walking on right now. He went through the same temptations. He went through the same heartache. He went through the same stuff that we have to go through all the time because now we get the chance to look at how he lived and go, okay, Jesus did it first. And what's amazing is the people that came before Jesus on earth, they still had a gospel. They still had something they were looking forward to. Jesus is our example of how we should live and how we should love at all times. Bottom line, if you want to learn how to love, the answer is simple. You look straight at the cross. 
you look straight at the only instruction manual you will ever need in your entire life, which is this book. It's like thousands of years old and it's still here. And that in itself is really cool. (laughs) A man named Warren Wearsby said, self-preservation is the first law of physical life. Jesus clearly shows us that self-sacrifice is the first law of spiritual life. The world will tell you to do everything you absolutely can do to get ahead, to do everything you can do to step on the person in front of you, to get that job before they can get it, to tear down that person so you can feel better. I mean, look at the American dream. It's like, hey, spend your entire life fighting for this thing that's never going to exist. Because the world only cares about what's happening right here and right now, and it doesn't care who it steps on to get there. It doesn't care who it murders to get there. We are explicitly told in the Bible that if you have hate in your heart, you have murder in your heart. And I know it's not as easy as just being like, okay, got it. I'm never going to hate anybody again. I'm never going to sin again. But guys, that is literally the point. We are faced with what feels like an impossible task. Like we know that we have sin that we can't get out of. And if we look at this without Jesus involved, it is terrifying. And it is so overwhelming because how on earth are we supposed to achieve this on our own? But the amazing and incredible thing is that we don't have to achieve this on our own. Because with this instruction manual came God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. We have the example of love. We have God the Father who is always looking out for us and always providing us with what we need. And we have the Holy Spirit who's abiding in us at all times, who's pointing us in the right direction, trying to help us when we get mad over the waffle spill. Like, we don't have to do this by ourselves. We don't have to look at godly love and go, okay, yeah, I'll figure it out tomorrow. It's going to be really hard, but like, we'll get there. You don't have to do this by yourself. Verse 18 is very clear. It says that we are told to act, not say. We're not told to say like, yeah, I would sacrifice for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, I would, I would love them. I wouldn't get mad over the waffle. Like, we're called to act. In the next uh, section of verses, we are showed, shown how to love. So we see what it looks like in a world without God, the worldly love. We see what godly love looks like that feels really unattainable. But the beauty of the Bible is that we are also given instructions on how to get through this, how to do this. So what does loving look like? How do we practice it? Richard Foster said, in some ways, we would prefer to hear Jesus' call to deny father and mother houses and land for the sake of the gospel than his word to wash the feet. That quote literally devastated me because it immediately brought me back to a very real situation. A couple months ago, I went through just a lot of family mess, and it did get really bad at one point. And there were days, and some people can attest to this because I told them, like, 
I wish I could just block them. I wish I could just never speak to them again, and I wish I could just walk away. Because in my head, I knew that the thing I was doing was what God had for me, and that's what they were angry about. So in my head, I was like, okay, I'm following the gospel. I'm doing what God's telling me to do. They're saying no. They're getting upset. Like, I'm justified to leave. I'm justified to walk away, and I'm justified to never speak to them again. And you know what God said to me every single time that I had that thought? Every time I almost hit that block button? He said, chill. He said, stop. And he reminded me of the hole that he dragged me out of. He reminded me of the hole that he dragged every single one of his children out of. And he said, how can you not love them How can you not love them when I still love you? And that wrecked me. Because it would be so much easier to listen to where the Bible says to deny our father and mother for the sake of the gospel. But you know what? It also tells us to wash each other's feet. It also tells us to stick with it. Because if we disregarded every single person that disagreed with the gospel... None of us would be here, let's be real. Like, none of us would be in this room. We would be completely, completely missing the point of the gospel because if we denied everybody, like, what on earth? Because God could have denied you, but he didn't. God could have looked at you and said, you've done enough damage, I'm walking away. For the sake of my gospel, I'm walking away. But he didn't do that. Now, I do want to make this disclaimer. There are absolutely situations where you walk away and it is justified. Absolutely, okay? But you know what else we have to do when it's bad enough that we walk away? We have to forgive them. We have no right to walk away and hold that hate inside of our hearts because you know where that hate comes from? The world. It's exactly what the world wants you to do. The world wants you to walk away from that parent that just yelled at you one too many times and never forgive them. You know who that affects way more than the person that you're hating? It kills you. Because you are not only holding murder in your heart toward them, but you are murdering your heart as you speak. Love is service. And sometimes that is so hard because sometimes that looks like sharing the gospel with that coworker that annoys the fire out of us. (laughs) You know it's true. (laughs) And sometimes that looks like looking at your best friend in the whole world and telling them that what they're doing is going to get them hurt one day. Sometimes that looks like keeping a relationship with your parents even when it's hard. Because Jesus has given you a perfect example of what the gospel looks like. And we need to pattern that. Look at verse 19. By this we shall know that we are aware that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. 
Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. When I first read these verses, I was really confused. I didn't totally understand what it was saying, but I tried to unpack it a little bit, and what I found was really, really, really cool. (laughs) When we feel conviction and we feel that tug on our heart and we recognize that we really messed up, that at first is a great thing because that means that you are aware of what sin looks like and you are paying attention to how it feels, what it looks like. That's there for a reason. That's called the Holy Spirit. The question, though, is what do we do with it? Because what these verses are saying is that if your heart condemns you, ultimately, God is greater than your heart. So, What does that mean? Basically, here's an example. Say I recognize, okay, I really messed up in this situation. I can stop there and I can say, okay, God, I really messed up. I really need you right now. And I can let him take care of it because God is greater than the sin that I just committed. And God is greater than what my heart is telling me, which is I'm a total screw up right now. Option B is I can go, okay, God, I'm a terrible person. I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve love. I don't deserve all this stuff. And I can go down this spiral for hours. And like, I know I've done it, and I know every single person in here has done that. We've all absolutely let our hearts get out of control and tell us that we are just the worst person on the planet. And it starts off as conviction from the Holy Spirit, but you know what it turns into? It turns into Satan telling you that you are unworthy that you are dirt, that you're nothing, you deserve nothing. And he wants nothing more than to convince you that that is true. So what this verse is telling us is that, again, ultimately, God is so much greater than our hearts. God is so much greater than what Satan is trying to tell you and convince you of. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Listen to that conviction. Listen when the Holy Spirit is telling you like, hey, you're going too far. But have that confidence that God is bigger than what you just messed up on. Have that confidence that God is bigger than what what Satan is whispering into your ear. And as you start going down that rabbit hole, convincing yourself that you don't deserve anything in life, stop for a second, take a breath, Remind yourself that you have a heavenly father who is so much bigger than the problem that's in front of you right now, and he is waiting to take it out of your hands. He is waiting for you to give it up and say, God, I can't do this. Because God is greater than everything. It doesn't matter what you do, God is greater, and God will cover that. On Sunday, Taylor preached a sermon about kind of uh, not thinking about yourself so much in short version, Um, but it really stuck with me because I'm going to butcher this, but something he basically said was like, are you focused on how you feel or are you focused on how God feels? Because if I'm so wrapped up in how I feel and how terrible I am, like, guys, I'm missing the point. And, like, I might convince myself in that moment, like, I'm being so humble because I know that I'm a messed up sinner. But you know who I'm hurting? I'm hurting myself. 
I'm hurting God. I'm hurting my husband. I'm hurting my friends around me. I'm hurting the person discipling me. I'm hurting everyone because I'm acting like a child the whole time that I'm convincing myself that I'm humble for believing that I'm a sinner. It's terrible. And I actually do want to reference 1 Corinthians 4, 3 through 5. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in the darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his condemnation from God. God is bigger. Let him take this. Stop judging yourself. Stop convincing yourself that you are this horrible person and give it to God. Because we know, we know that he is the ultimate judge. We also know that when we confess our sins to him and when we do go to him and say like, God, I messed up, I did something horrible. We should do that. We should tell him, we should confess those things. But as soon as that is out of your mouth, And as soon as you give that to him, you let that go. Because he is the judge. Don't try to put yourself in God's position and judge yourself. And definitely don't let let yourself judge others. Because I'll be honest, in my own life, the more that I start to judge myself, the more I start to judge others. And I start to get really good at it. And I think I'm like all big and bad because like, I know. I judge myself all the time. How is that loving at all? I want to ask this question. If you don't believe that God can clear your name, how are you going to faithfully share the gospel with other people? Like if you don't believe that he has the power to save you, and to forgive you for what you've done, then I know you don't believe that he can do it for other people. You know that stupid phrase that says like, if you're on a plane and it's crashing, like don't try to put on other people's oxygen masks before you put on your own, because if you're passed out, like you can't help anybody. This is not that different. If you don't believe that the God of the universe has saved your life, has forgiven you for your sins, then when you go to share it to that next person who desperately needs to hear the gospel, you don't even understand it yourself. You don't believe it for yourself. How are you going to tell them that that's true when you cannot confidently say, I trust that God took my sin away from me? It's not about loving yourself before you can love others. It's about trusting God before you can faithfully move forward. Do you confidently believe that God has saved you? Do you worry your prayers aren't heard? Do you think that when you pray, you're praying to a blank wall that doesn't hear you? If that's the case, I really need you to reevaluate what you believe. 
Because I promise you, I, I promise you guys, like, as you are convincing yourself that you don't deserve anything, God is on the other side of you just begging you to turn around. He's not going to do it for you because God's not like that. He doesn't force us to do things that we don't want to do. But he's there. And he is absolutely waiting. And he's just holding freedom. He's holding forgiveness. He's holding salvation right here. And you've seen it. And if you're still choosing to turn around and throw yourself that pity party that feels like humility, that feels like it's making you a better person, you are missing the gift that God is ready to give you. The gift that he's already given you, you just haven't opened it yet. I don't want to sound too harsh on this, but stop throwing yourself the pity parties. Stop letting yourself sit and dwell and think, oh, I'm just terrible. That's not good for you. That's not good for the person around you. And it's not the truth at all. Are you thinking about how you feel it or are you thinking about how God feels? Because I promise you in those moments, you and God are thinking two very different things. Verse 23 and 24 beautifully wrap up this section and beautifully sum up the gospel, the Bible. And funny enough, the commentary I was reading suggested that we work from the bottom up. So I'm going to read it, 23 and 24, and then I'm going to read it, 24 and 23. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandment abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Okay, so let's work from the bottom up. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. If you remember the day that you were saved, and I hope you do, you know that that was the day that the Holy Spirit entered into your heart. That was the day that God gifted you the Holy Spirit. And so I can't stand up here and give you a synopsis of like what the Holy Spirit is. But in short, it's God living inside of your heart. And he's the one that's telling you to endure, to trust God, to love one another, to not give up, to breathe, to chill, whatever it is. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is also the one who gives us discernment. And that looks like, I don't have a great definition for it, but my best example is just knowing what the next right thing to say is because you're trusting that the Holy Spirit is going to say it for you. The Holy Spirit is a gift. And when you are saved, when you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are given that gift and he abides in you. And so as he abides in you, you start to abide in Christ more and more every day. Now, when you first get saved, you're not just going to know how to be a good Christian. I mean, there's not really a good Christian, but you're not going to be at the level of like full selflessness and full Christ-likeness, and you never sin a day in your life ever again. Like, that's not how it works. Again, the point of this is that we have no idea how it works, because if we could achieve this without God, what is the point? If we can be our own saviors, 
Why do we need a savior? So when you have the hard days where you're getting upset over the waffle powder spilling, don't freak out. Don't convince yourself that you are like a bad Christian and a bad person. That's absolutely what Satan wants you to think, but it's not true. As the Holy Spirit abides in you, you start to abide in Christ more and more. And that voice from the Holy Spirit starts to get a little bit louder each time. The next sentence above this one is, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. So like I said, every day, he's abiding in you more, he's getting more prevalent, and you're abiding in him more, and you're listening to him more. That's how this works. And this is, the, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Day one of salvation, you're not just going to know how to love your brothers and sisters in Christ perfectly. But what that verse is telling us is that as we start abiding in him more, and as we get used to his voice, our desires are going to change. Because the Bible also tells us that what we ask of him, we will receive. And you have to be really careful with those verses because they're very literal but it also doesn't mean that I'm going to go home tonight and pray for a million dollars and it's going to be on my doorstep. You can pray that and like, let me know how it goes. But if your intention is to get like, I don't know, a Camaro or something, just because you can drive a fast car, like I, that's not what it's meaning at all. When it says that when we ask what we ask of him, we will receive. As you start to pray, And as you start to ask God for things, your heart will start to shift. And I can tell you, I had the coolest experience the other day. We we thought we found out some bad news, and it was really stressing us out. And so I started praying, and I've been trying to learn how to pray more boldly to the Lord instead of just being like, if that's okay, like, I understand if you don't want to. Like, that's not praying boldly. And so I started telling or asking him, like, God, I'm going to ask you for this until you tell me no. And the second he tells me no, we're, we're changing it. We're praying about something else. And it typically comes around, like, you know, within a day or two. But I started praying the other day, and I was like, okay, Lord, like, I really need you to change this situation. I really need you to fix this problem. And I am not kidding. Like, in that same prayer, I went, but maybe you can teach us something out of this. Maybe you can provide a way for us to get through this, even though it's hard. And like, I finished that prayer and I was like, whoa, like, that was cool. And like, I am no super Christian. Please don't hear me say that. If anything, I was shocked. I was like, that was the craziest thing I've ever experienced. But God changed my heart so quickly because he knew that I wanted what he had for me I just didn't know what to pray at first. So when the Bible tells you like, hey, God will give you what you ask for, be open to the fact that God might change what you want because that's the point. The point is that we grow in Christ's likeness and that we learn how to live like Christ and we depend on him every day 
to grow in living like him. So don't be surprised when you're praying one day for something and God shifts your heart because that's the point, guys. And be open to that. Like if anything, get vulnerable with God and just be like, God, I really want this thing like so bad and I'm open to it if you say no, but like I want this thing. He's not gonna be like mad at you for that. He knows your heart. He knows what you want. Talk to him about it. Let him change it. Or let him provide a way for what you want. How do you know that you are abiding in Christ? This is my favorite question of the night. What is your love life like? How does your love life look? Are you asking God for his desires? Are you desiring to want, like, to love your brothers and sisters? Because that's the difference. And if you struggle with that, talk to one of us. Talk to Taylor, talk to Matt. Like, talk to anybody in this room, probably. We would love to talk to you about that. Because it's a simple answer. Look at the cross. Look at how Jesus loved you. And don't be scared when he starts to change your desires. We see how the world wants us to live, and that is in darkness and hatred. And like, I don't know about you, but I remember before I was a Christian and I was miserable. And I spent the majority of my time convincing people I was very happy, but I was miserable because I was harboring hate I was angry at everyone. I was angry at God. And I was chasing after just about everything I could to fill that hole that only God can fill. That's what Satan wants you to live in. He wants you to be miserable and convince yourself and everyone around you that you're good. Just going through a hard time 24-7. And guys, like, let me be honest with you. It's not just about going through a hard time here on earth. Like, that is an eternal decision right there. You choosing not to walk with the Lord and you choosing to sit in your anger and to sit in the world, that doesn't just affect you on a Monday when you don't want to get out of bed. That affects you for the rest of your eternal life. The other option is much better because I can also tell you that when I did come to know the Lord for real, my depression and anxiety didn't just like go away. My addiction didn't just go away. The relationships I burned didn't just magically come back. You know what did change though? My heart. And I am not going to sit up here and tell you that like coming to know the Lord just solves all those problems immediately and heals you of all of your ailments. Like that's not realistic. The Bible doesn't tell us that. But he heals your heart. And I had to work through anxiety and depression, but the huge difference is the fact that I had a God that I could lean on. I didn't have to wake up anymore and roll over and wonder what the heck was the point. I got to roll over on those days, have that question and go, you know what? Today might be a hard day, 
But the point is that I have a God who loves me. And something else that comes with a God who loves you is a community that wants to build you up and love on you through whatever you are going through. In this room, you have so many people who would love to share your burdens with you, who would love to point you back to Christ in every situation you're going through. Don't discredit that, please. Talk to that person you've been meaning to talk to. Share that thing that's been eating you alive for the past week. God is enough. He has also given you community. He has given you love from your brothers and sisters in Christ. And just like how that's you can receive love, that's how you can give love. You can be available for that friend. You can talk to that person, okay? The Bible doesn't just tell us that we should do better at loving. It gives us instructions on how to do so. And if you, like, didn't hear anything I said tonight, just hear this. God's got it. If you would just give it to him, like, he will walk you through this. And it might be hard and difficult, but I can promise you that what's at the end of the line is an eternity with a God who loves you and an eternity with a community of believers. This is Matt O'Mealy, pastor to young adults at Evergreen Baptist Church. I want to invite you to come to Reach. We meet every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at Evergreen in South Tulsa, just east of Mingo on 111th Street. The mission of Reach Tulsa is to cultivate a young adult community that is defined by real transformation and the sincere pursuit of a godly life through training in biblical disciplines, personal development, and intentionally transitioning into independence as mature members of the body of Christ. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like and subscribe to our content. We are available on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Reach Young Adult Ministry is a part of Evergreen Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information and additional lessons, please visit our website, evergreenbc.org.